Hi folks, my name is Chris and I'm the artist and co-founder at Explorer Maps. Hi, this is Vanessa, Chris's wife. I have been a number one fan of Chris's art since I first met him in the late 1990s. Which map will you get to help you treasure your own special times? Please be sure to use the promo code MANDELA for a discount when you visit explorermaps.com. Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure radio series and podcast dedicated to collecting stories and sounds from around the world in order to take you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. This episode was recorded on location in collaboration with Explorer Maps. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of adventure from both near and far, as well as information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can subscribe to the podcast and learn about our international outreach projects at traillesstraveled.net. And now, here's your host, international expedition guide, conservationist, and yogi, Mandela. We are sitting here on Rielendal, which is my family's farm here in the Western Cape of South Africa. And I'm sitting with incredible musicians, singers. My first question for you, Ruben, is where did you grow up? And how was adventure and music a part of your childhood? Yes. So I come from KZN, North KZN. It's near Sodwana Bay. When I was growing up, we used to have church choirs. When I started school, there was also a junior choir. So I started singing from the church. I was still a tenor by that time. (laughs) So I started there and I went to primary school. I was singing in the choir, high school. So I've been singing ever since I knew myself. And I went to, 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 to do business management in varsity. I joined at the choir there, and we were doing like choruses and, and opera areas. So that's how I was exposed to opera. But go, go, going back to, 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 to where I come from. So it, it was lovely. And I even thank my, my father because he always supported me. He always wanted me to do music. And I hear that my mother was a singer as well. So maybe it comes from there also. But I just want to butt in. I don't want to steal mm. your thunder. But you didn't explain exactly where you came from. I think for your audience. Yes. You come from Zululand. Yes. You come from the heart of Zululand. Yes. Um, KZN in our province, in our country, is a province, a KwaZulu Natal, but Zululand is a specific region where the king comes from mm. and where royalty comes from and the real Zulu, not that the others aren't, but it's very <laughs> Zulu, it's a very deep tradition and culture that comes from there. So he comes from the area which is very, very deeply Zulu. For someone listening who yes. doesn't know the different countries in Africa, the different regions, yes. you know, we're particularly talking about South Africa. You know, yes. it's a country in Southern Africa. Yeah. And, and this is a region of South Africa. And there's many, many different languages spoken yes, you know, in have... Africa, but in South Africa in particular, and in this area, I'm sure. And you speak multiple languages, I know. Yes. So just <laughs> love to hear just more about the land and the culture and the music of where you come from. Okay. 
So as my teacher has explained, we are Zulus and we are so deep into culture and tradition. In my area, we have people speaking different languages. That's why I am able to understand. Because if you go there, you would meet like four people sitting together, speaking different languages, but still understanding each other. So that's what I love about it. And also, it's a beautiful land with beautiful rivers and oceans. You see, the indigenous music, they get born into. Yes. And there aren't this, all right, now you're going to start learning this. You just learn it as you go. I mean, from day one. Say you were a week old and they go to an in indigenous celebration or something. You start, it goes into your bones. Mm -hmm. And so they understand, and this indigenous culture, sorry that I'm saying it again, but you must talk yeah. more about it. <laughs> it is so amazing because I grew up with it. I could regard myself as an African, but I'm a white African. So I don't have the, the comfort of his culture. And what I mean by that is, it is all connected to dance, philosophy, religion, if you like, but I don't mm. really think it's more philosophy and recitation and performing and singing. All is all in one. Like all the dance forms are in one. And so from the word go, as you grow into it, you never feel self-conscious about it. Where we, in our culture, we feel self-conscious because we have so many boundaries. Mm -hmm. This is opened up to you, opened up to you from birth. Even your birth is an indigenous event. You get celebrated a birth ceremony and, you know, to the ancestors and stuff like that. Mm. So <laughs> they learn to dance, sing and act from the word go. Incredible thing is, I looked at this choir yesterday that we looked at, uh, heard. If you look at the move, it looks like they've all been to dance school. Yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> the school it was life. It comes natural now. It comes natural. It's just there. Because yeah. we grow up doing that from as like early age. Yeah. And you joined those students yesterday, I saw. Yes, yes, yes. It, it, it was. Because, you know, as I, as I said, from, from, from my childhood, I was doing that. I was in the choirs. So when I saw them singing and dancing, it, it, it felt... I remembered my my childhood as well. And I know all the songs they were, they were singing. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I could tell. Like, I could see it in your face yes, when you were singing yes. the words with and them. Imagine, this is South Africa, and I am coming from KZN. It's just 2,000 2, kilometers away from there, but yeah, from here, there but is a connection. There's a connection, because I know all the songs they are doing, and I know the, even the dance they are doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's very beautiful. I cannot even explain it. I cannot tell you how beautiful this is. He comes from an incredible area called Sodwana. It is regarded as one of the greatest beaches on the planet. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I've never been there myself, but I've only heard about it. It is unbelievable. It's legendary. It's the freedom, the sense of freedom. I mean, Ruben, when you were growing up, did you, did you have water, running water in the house, or did you have to go and fetch it from the river? We had to go and fetch it from the river. Yeah. Yeah. No electricity? There so was no electricity. Not in the beginning. But, but yes, not in the beginning. Yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah. yeah. We're sitting here at Rielendal, which is a farm that's been in my family here in the Western Cape of South Africa for a very long time. And I'm sitting with Ruben Mbonambi and... 
Juan Burgers, and Juan is one of Ruben's teachers. Yes, yes, yes. But now I would love it, love it, I would love it if you would be willing to sh sing or share a song from your your early childhood. Okay. <laughs> okay, what I'm going to sing is, is a lullaby. It's about trying to, to calm down a child, you know, when they are crying because they want their parents. It's called Tulasana. So it goes like this. Tula, Tula, Nana, Tula, Sana, Tulumamuzobuya, Eguseni, Tula, Tula, Sana, Tula, Sana, Tulumamuzobuya, Mtunzi Nokobeka is a baritone, and he also performed last night. And I was wondering if you could explain where did you grow up, and how was adventure and music a part of your childhood? Oh yeah, I grew up in the Eastern Cape. Um, Eastern Cape is uh, in King Williamstown. The King Williamstown is a very small town. We've got good singers coming from the Eastern Cape. But yeah, with singing, we, we all start from church, you know. With us, it's from church and school. In school, you would sing hymns, and then you go to church and you would sing hymns. So in other words, the school teachers would then know which church you go to and then know that that church they sing, you sing in that church. So they will take you to a school choir. So that's when you start singing and start developing the love of, 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 of music from, from church, basically. That's where it all starts. It's the church, school, and then, yeah. Also, you know, indigenous culture. Yes, yes, of that. course, yeah. You know, you know, with, with, with us as, as Africans, we sing for anything. For anything? <laughs> Explain that to <laughs> people. Yeah. We, 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 when we're angry, we sing. When we're happy, we sing. When you're sad, you sing. <laughs> when you're sad, you, you sing. It's a song. <laughs> you so that we is where the spiritual comes from yeah. in, in the American culture. You know, it comes from Africa. Yeah. And because that is the way that they withstood the trial. It comes naturally. Yeah. You know, there's there's a joke that Trevor Noah did. It says that it, during the time of apartheid, white people were confused if if we were angry or happy when we sing. They could not. They could. They did not know <laughs> because they would we would sing. Uh, they would sing uh, songs and the people and like and dancing also. You see these toy toys over yeah. there. Yeah. They were confused. These people. This, this are they angry or they are they angry or they happy because you go to the funeral they sing. You go, you go when they are celebrating, they are singing. When they are angry, they are singing. So it's 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 like as you've been even when you go to kids in 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 in, in, in schools now, go to their assembly and you'd see so beautiful singing from from an early age. It's like pipes of black people are different, you know. Yeah. We, 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 we're naturally born with strong voices. It's actually in the language. Yeah, mm. I believe yeah. that it's actually in the language yeah. because. Both the Nguni languages, which is, happens to be both of their cultures. Yeah. Mtunzi comes from Eastern Cape, which is, is it Kosa, yeah. and uh, Zulu comes from, is it Zulu? Zulu. That's Zulu culture, but both of them are regarded in Nguni. 
we can go into that. But the interesting thing is about the commonality with that with both those <coughs> languages is that they use pure vowels when they speak, not like English and other many other languages who have combinative vowels, triphthongs, diphthongs, neutral sounds and stuff. There's an all pure vowels, so i.e. there's a resonance in the language, number one. But from birth, the parents teach them the consonants. Now, show me how you teach that. Let the kids play. play. Yeah, do, the, do, do that one for and all the vowels. You see, so that works the larynx. <laughs> they are developing the laryngeal part of the physiology because that's how they need to speak. So by the time they go into puberty, the pharyngeal part now develops. It's already developed, so it's got a second development. And then people say, why is it that you sing so much better than other people who don't do that? Now, not all the languages in South Africa, the indigenous languages, have that. But they do kind of have that because they are forced to listen to Isikosa and Isizulu because those are the two most popular languages in the yeah, country. In the country, yeah. <laughs> it's the most spoken. If you remember yesterday when, when the choir was singing, yeah. we, we knew all, almost yeah. all the songs that they, they were singing because <laughs> this, it, it's, it's, it's a second nature for us yeah. to, to sing. So yeah. we can, we can, you can sing one thing. Sometimes we would not know, but once they sing that, that's, that's one line, yeah. then we, we, know know the we, yeah, we know the next. <laughs> I mean, it, to me, it almost feels like sitting here asking you how music was a part of your childhood. It's like, how was breathing a part of your childhood? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You, how do I explain yeah. that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I just must say to you that my heart swelled hearing the click song that is often sung at a, a wedding. Yeah. Would you sing that song, please, potentially? Yeah. Would you be willing to do that? Yeah. It would make my day. <laughs> oh, the song goes like... And then you have like a, a traditional traditional healers, they would sing it differently. And they would have like some sort of a dance like they do. So it, it goes with the foot and also you see and the harmonies are very beautiful. You see, you see how he sings. You see, it's, it's like it's 
harmonies are, are like the, are like that with with us because it comes when, naturally it, yeah. because mo- mostly when men would sing it they would f- somehow find harmonies alone because on their own on their own yeah. <laughs> and, and so you would find the like the normal Methodist hymns or the Anglican hymns or the Presbyterian yeah. hymn but you get the African yeah. flavor of the harmonic structure yeah. because you can never have an African congregation that can sing an, a hymn in one voice. Never. Yeah. You get it in four voices, soprano, alto, tenor, basses. Finished. You won't yeah. get You know what? Yeah. Whereas with us, oh my God, you just get the melody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then it is usually out of tune as well. Kind of. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Well, I remember when I listened to Miriam Makeba sing the song all the time as yeah. well, and she would change the... Yeah, and then it would change. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah so it's like really that. It. It, yeah, because it naturally we are gifted with just yeah. rhythm. You, you, so you, you know, there's a kind of singing that women sing in in, in this process called ngobolo. You see how yeah. he sings. The woman would sing three times lower than him yeah. with the bass. It's called it's called ngobolo. It's, it's only women. Where's my phone? I would, I would, I would, I would, I would show you on. You must go on YouTube and listen to Ngol. It's women singing, but they sing very, 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 very low. Yeah. Now that culture is only found in Tibet and in the Eastern Cape. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Do you, do you yeah. Isn't yeah. that now yeah. very interesting when you are looking at from an ethnomusicological and an anthropology kind of point of view? How is it possible that in Tibet? And here in Africa, there's mm. one tribe. They do the same. They call it a different name, but it bounces yes, to the same, same action. Exactly. Very, very, I mean. Mtuzi, would you tell me a little bit more about your path from singing in the choir and where you grew up to, you know, where you're living now and the path that music has taken you on, you know, the journey you're on right now with music? With music, it's like a culture on its own. Because, um, you know, in, with, with culture, you get to, to meet people that... You, culture is mostly something that binds you together with other people. So with music, it, it's like that with us, you know. In music, we all know each other. Yeah. <laughs> you, you would know someone from the... Oh, I know him from... He sings from that choir. He sings from that choir, you see. So with choirs, it's, it's basically that you... One, you develop a soft discipline. Because to, to be a singer, you've got to be disciplined. When Juan says to you, you must not do this and do this, do this for us to achieve this, you know, you've got to understand that. But with music, it, 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 it opened a lot of doors for me because coming from a very small town and, and, and grew up with people singing in front of you and you actually love that, you, you, you want that, you know. So I ended up studying music. I, my first music class was in university because in my high school there were no... No, 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 no music classes, nothing, nothing. It was just only the choir. And you, you kind of like that. You kind of want it. This is something that I want to do, you know. So after high school, then I went to study music in, in the UKZN and did opera there. After that, you know, in South Africa, you, you, you kind of really see that there's not much that I can do with singing here. I can't make money that I want because, you know, with, with us as Africans, you've got to have make money to go back home, fix few things because as a man, you know, we, we've got... To, so now with singing in South Africa, there was not much money. So we ended up teaching. So I ended up... I'm a teacher, full-time teacher. Um, I work as a teacher. In, um, in, in Deben, I was teaching in high school, so I was teaching music from grade 10 to grade 12s. But here I'm, I'm in primary, so I'm, I'm on the creative arts side now. So I'm teaching music through creative arts. 
but with singing, I've always loved singing, you know. Then hence, um, when I when I when I moved to Cape Town, I I was glad to 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 meet up with him because I've always wanted to work with him, even in Devon. When I wanted to work with him in Devon, he moved from Devon to Cape Town. <laughs> and when I moved to Cape Town, the first thing that I said to him, the very same week that I Juan, I'm in Cape Town, Puri, we must start working together. <laughs> I just want to say, if you've just joined us and you're listening to the trail has traveled, when he says him, he's talking about his teacher, one of yeah. his teachers who's sitting next to him here. Juan. Yeah, yeah, Juan, yeah. So I, I, we, we, we met him in we met in Devon because he used to stand. I kind of liked well, there was this opera that we did with, for him, and I kind of liked the way he, because I, I I knew him from afar and, until and, until we worked with, with with that opera and said now nah, there's something that I want from him because with singing you can't just be a good singer you've got to have a good teacher to teach you the correct way of singing you understand it's not it's not just about the voice but the voice needs work it's like a soccer player you go to a training every day yes. to improve the skill and you, you have someone teaching you that you, you understand and with with him uh, it's 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 coming along. I'm not there yet. And by the way, that is the opera he composed. He's the, yeah, there's the opera he composed. And we were talking about it. He must do that again. I want to yeah. be in the room now. I don't want to be in the chorus. Now, now, now he's ready. They're both yeah. ready. Because they were both on the chorus. Yeah. And they were very, very valuable. And uh, if you look at the, also the production, I'm astounded at the quality of the entire production because there's no opera company in Durban. But it is an incredible standard of acting, singing, and participation in this opera that you can't compare with anything anywhere in the world. But that you can do, you can drop me off in the middle of rural um, KwaZulu-Natal or, or Eastern Cape or anywhere else for that matter, and I can put on an opera in three months because of what is, ava- is available there. Just yeah. their attention, and you have their attention. It is so possible. You can't believe what is possible, and it's just a pity that we don't seem to, if I may say so, have the political will in this country to help the yeah. people of this country. Mm, yeah. Because it is the most exportable good that, that good it's liquid gold that we could be supporting exporting yeah. and because the world is so aware of this incredible talent but very little is being done to really nurture it because you need to nurture you know mm. Then that is why most of us here who love opera, who just want to sing opera, they they always want to leave South Africa and go to. Yes, they need, they need to because they are they are much more respected there than than here. Yeah. Like here in South Africa, you would win an international comp- competition, and only those in the in the in the music fraternity would know about it. The government does not even care. Even your hometown, they would never yes. acknowledge you for anything. Look what look what he achieved. He won the Belvedere. That's an international competition. He became third, and it's only us who, who, who knows that. The country is nowhere. I mean, it comes from a deep rural areas in 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 Guazu. There's something that should be done because that's a huge achievement in terms of arts, you know. Because in in, in our days we, we we don't understand. I think the government does not understand that it, we cannot only have science and talk, uh, <laughs> only in, in schools. We can't yes. can prioritize science and no. maths in schools. And technology. Yeah, because there are there are kids with good with art. There are kids who good with art from school. I know that for a fact because I'm a teacher. There are kids that can't see that, hey, this one is struggling. But you give him a book and draw something or he sings. You know, yeah. they see there's there's a potential there. But where where is that child going to go after that? You know, sometimes you, you get kids like, you see, this one, 
does not need school. It just needs to be an artist. This one. Yes. It just need to narrate him. But you can't offer that because the government is nowhere to be found with that. They've they've <laughs> they've closed all those schools that that, yep. that deals with you. You know skills skills. We don't have skills. You just teach them mathematics, and you know that this one does not need mathematics. He needs to be a singer. Yeah. But <laughs> It's one of my favorite sayings is, is children are our greatest natural resource. Yeah. And, mm. you know, I, I also like to do outreach and go into schools and I play uh, the didgeridoo for the kids. And I just hope that somewhere deep inside there's a seed that's getting planted, you know, a, a seed of curiosity, whether it's about culture or about music, <clears throat> you know, or just about travel. And it's kind of neat to see those, those, um, those kids grow up and then sometimes come up to me later on and say that maybe they didn't start playing the didgeridoo, but they started to sing or something, exactly. you know, because mm. music is an international kids are, language. Kids are very curious. Yeah. yeah. Kids yeah. are very curious. Uh, you yeah. know, you know, when, when, when I just started here, there was no choir, there was no school choir. So when I started, I said, no, kids want to come sing for a school choir, must come. You know, there was about 80 of them that came. Yeah. <laughs> because they, they, that's how curious they are, you, you, you understand? And you, you start singing with them, you see the faces they, when, 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 when they, they even come to say, when are we singing again? Say, we must come, you must sing. You must sing during the break, you must sing during the break time now, not, mm-hmm. you see? So they love this thing. The kids want to be busy, but you're not giving it to them because we are busy with other things also. But the wonderful thing about a school with a choir it creates such coherence in the school yeah. because those vibrations go out into mm. the atmosphere mm. and the entire school starts performing better on all levels, yeah. whether it is discipline or whether it is academically or sport yeah. mm. or any such thing. Unfortunately, that doesn't seem to kind of hit the consciousness of the people mm. who are operating these things. I mean, we've got pockets of it happening, but it really should be part of the fabric of the education system. Because I believe that we need to change the education system if we want to change the world. Yeah. Because the world yeah. needs to move away from this kind of sense of propriety. I own this and it's not, it's not... We need to share resources, we need to share ideas, we need to fertilize the earth with creativity and with that of being together rather than being separate. Because separateness is not going to solve. We have a world dilemma in terms of where are we going as a group, as a group consciousness, because we could either completely self-destruct or we could solve the problem. And the only way we can do it is through art, music. And for someone listening who maybe doesn't connect that word you just used, separateness, with, with another... Being together. Well, being together, you know, but also how would you define apartheid? Yes, that is, and that is absolutely separateness. That is, because, I mean, the apartheid people, because I lived through it, it was called apartheid, and everybody knows that, but it was also stroke. Because apartheid is actually an Afrikaans word. To qualify its meaning, it was that direct English translation, it's called separate development. Mm. Look, all right, now they try to get away with it with that kind of silly idea, which it was, I think, the moment they formulated, they realized they were talking rubbish. And they needed to justify it for about 40 years until it couldn't be justified any longer. You know what I mean? And they knew that. They bloody knew, sorry. They knew that. Any case, and so they said, we want to, how clever was this now, and conniving and sly, 
We want to develop separately so that you can remain, keep your identity. Isn't that very clever? As if we're going to lose our identify, identity when we are going to start sharing. Yeah. We can yeah. only enhance because we are. We, learn from we should heaven. be celebrating yeah. our differences. Yes. Because yes. otherwise life would be very blooming boring if we were all the same. You know what I mean? We all look the same. We all behave the same. We all like the same stuff. We're going to have a problem. It's going to be really intolerable. Jai. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> we're sitting here on the trail as traveled. Um, we're here underneath the Langebach mountain range, and I'm sitting with three phenomenal musicians, Juan Burgers, Ruben Mbunambi, and Mtuzi Nokobeka. I would love to return and take the turn in the river that takes us more towards the road of opera, and just understanding okay. opera a little bit, and Juan, your background, but now it's time for another song. So I'm just curious, as you look at the mountains and the trees and you hear the birds, mm. what song comes to mind right now that maybe you guys might be willing to sing? Oh, yes. You can sing it. Until there's, it's well, there's, there's, this, there's this song that um, um, Jezza wrote, Spusi song, is, is mm. one of um, South Africa's composers. He, he wrote it for this guy, Lutando Kave. Oh yes, Lieutenant Kave is 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 one of um, our great baritones. Our great baritone from South Africa. He's, he's, he lives he lives in he lives overseas. He lives in Norway. Yeah. yeah. So he's been he's been there for a very long time. So and then um, Jezza wrote a song for him um, because he was he, he I think he was complaining that he he misses, he misses South Africa. He misses he misses the, the mountains. He misses the rivers. He misses everything. So he wrote a song for him. It goes like this, when, when I remember the beauty of South Africa, those beautiful mountains, those beautiful, those calm rivers. So it goes like... That means is that when I think about the beauty of South Africa, it, I just cry. Makes me sad. So may I become sad and, and uh, so is inyembez. This is a clear inyembez. Means that I, my tears just go down, go down. Yeah. The title of the song is Wamuche Mzansi. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Mzansi. Beautiful South Africa. Yeah. So it basically okay. talks about this, the nature. That's exactly what you exactly say. what you asked. The birds, <laughs> the mountains, and stuff. It was while we were living internationally, about 11 years ago, that Explorer Maps first started, when Chris and his brother Greg decided to join forces and bring the maps to the whole wide world. Hi, this is Vanessa, Chris's wife. Each map is a labour of love, and I am lucky enough to see them all grow step by step from the early research and planning stages onto a large white piece of paper through penciling, inking, and finally seeing the real magic happen as Chris adds the color. As each one reaches the end phase, I get to examine them closely in the hope that I spot any unfinished bits before Chris sends them off. But there's always new illustrations to see every time. 
I love going to the Missoula warehouse when we're in Montana to see each unique map on the incredible range of products that Explorer Maps now has. Having lived away from home and families for the past 17 years, our aim of connecting people and place is very poignant to me. And for that reason, my favorite maps are Flathead and the Maasai Mara, because these two places are central to our extended family gatherings and where we have made the best of memories. Which map will you get to help you treasure your own special times? Please be sure to use the promo code MANDELA for a discount when you visit exploramats.com. We are recording the trail that's traveled in front of a farmhouse that I believe was built by my great, great, great grandfather. And we're here in the gardens, many of which my grandmother planted. And so it's very special for me to sit here and finally be present on the farm because it's been hectic, busy travel. So I'm sitting here, but I'm also sitting here with three phenomenal musicians who have been telling us a story of their life and sharing some song with us. Before we go on, I was wondering if you could all help me out here. This is a radio show. This is a podcast. This is going to air in Montana where it's a frozen Arctic right now. So, so for someone listening overseas, can you paint the picture and describe to the listener what it feels like to sit here? What are you looking at right now? Well, I see these beautiful green lush trees and one particular one here with these beautiful violet blossoms called the jacaranda tree, which is originally from Australia, but this beautiful lawn, green lawn. Um, you could be anywhere in the world where it's beautiful. This reminds me of the beautiful English poem called Fern Hill by Dylan Thomas, happy as the grass was green. <laughs> you know, uh, you know I, I can imagine being happy because the grass is green. Now, that is the kind of thing which makes me very happy because I don't really like winter. So I feel sorry for people who have to experience cold winters <laughs> because here in where we come from, um, our winter is a walk in the park in comparison to what winter is happening elsewhere. We are very, very blessed in terms of the elements. The elements are kind to us. You know, we, we could actually even survive outside. Tell me what you see, Rube. I see these beautiful mountains and all these birds who are, which are singing here, they're like giving me beautiful music. And it's just so bright, it's just so bright and beautiful. You see that tree over there, it's called a fiddlewood. It changes, it fiddles, the, 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 the leaves fiddle, which means they change color all the time. Oh, yeah. It doesn't say the same, it fiddles. The whole, during all the seasons, it changes different colors. That's why it's called a fiddlewood. Yeah. Being here reminds me of my grandmother. You know, when you go to the rural areas, mm. this, is, this is kind of what you would see. Wow. Mountains yeah. and, and, and trees, you know, because yeah. we, we stay in towns now. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, when, when you visit your grandmother, you kind of sit, you, because you would sit like this and look at the mountains and tell you stories about those mountains. This is how your father grew up. And, 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 and so I'm kind of reminded of that. This is just, just beautiful. It's amazing. You know, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, like, this is, you it's could, like you could, you could, yeah, you could, you could just sleep here. Yeah. Every and time, think, every time I've been here, I first of all look forward to coming to it. And I leave, when I leave here, I feel that I've been fed 
on a different level mm. other than just food, you know, um, something for the soul to take home with you. And that is what art is about. And we, we are losing our soul in this country because of the politics, which is not taking care of the soul. You cannot just yeah. have a body. We are not a body only. We are a soul having a physical experience, not a body having a soul experience. We're mm. essentially soul. And if we don't look after the art, art full stop, on any level, we are not fulfilling the human purpose. Yeah. But we will get it right. There's, there's always a chance of it happening. There's a chance. Yeah. Juan, will you tell us more about yourself? You're, you're sitting here surrounded by two of your students. Yeah. And uh, we haven't talked that much about your background and your path to music. <coughs> okay, tell us yeah. a little bit about that. Oh, mine was very, very, very... I'm very... I consider, consider myself incredibly fortunate to have been born into a musical family and particularly a mother who was a singer. She actually sang at a concert the night before I was born. And, um, and so I was gestated in a body that made a lot of noise and made a lot of beautiful sound. And she had a particularly beautiful, beautiful voice. And, um, so, and it became very, very clear to her and my father that I was exhibiting tremendous, how shall I say, interest in music. But I was also lucky in that my father was an artist. Um, he was an incredibly good painter, sculptor, but he also needed to look after five hungry kids and a demanding wife. And um, so he and she went into business together and they created properties and sold them, bought properties, then would design a property. She would do the garden and help design that, that and the other. So that is kind of how they managed to pay the bills and, and really because all of the five kids, they gave them a musical education. It was, my father never said, oh, must I give money for your piano lessons? I mean, from my first day at school, I went to piano lessons. So I was very, very, very privileged. And uh, that is why I very gladly give out when I got, because I got it without asking for it, it was given to me. So I like to give things to people. If people can't pay for a lesson, I don't stop them from coming for a lesson because we can't wait for them to get money because that might not happen. And, um, and I, that has been kind of the way I teach because I feel that the energy that you put into something doesn't only go into that person that you're doing it, it actually goes into the atmosphere and the environment and nature and the, nature hears you and observes you and then it feeds you back. So it's been a very, very amazing thing. But the wonderful thing was that my mother was a, a singer and I started going to opera rehearsals around about the age of 10 when opera started professional companies in this country. My mother was in one of them. And um, so I was allowed, I asked my mother, what are you singing, you know, because it was different to what I'd been hearing. So she said, uh, I'm not going to expect you to just come along with me tonight and then you can see what I'm doing. And I went there and it was the marriage of Figaro of Mozart, act one, first scene and what happens in act one is unbelievable and it, the plot and the way it's written and the 
comedy and the seriousness of all that. You, Tunzi, you sang an aria from there last night yeah, to the yeah. Count. And the Count is busy already in Act One trying to, <coughs> to get all these girls around, you know, that kind of thing. As I said, it's about social comment of the nobility. And um, I fell in love. I knew that night that this was where I'm going to be going. And, um, and my mother didn't say much. She just, I could see that she was terribly pleased because I said to her when I got in the car, I, she said, man, what do you think now? What do you think of all of that? I said, mommy, I now know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And I could see that she was very, very happy about that reply. <laughs> but sometimes I think to myself, why didn't they make me become a lawyer or a doctor so I had more money <laughs> but yeah so it's kind of like one of those things you know what I mean because I never my, my parents never made me realise that money was quite a difficult thing to get a hold of because it was always there for me to a certain extent that wasn't quite that good you know what I mean it's not that I didn't realise I had to make money but I never actually considered uh, trying to accrue money for myself I always use money for a as a means to get by. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe that's right, maybe that's wrong. We'll find out one day, I don't know. But that is the way I did it. As a kid, I did very well as a singer. I was taking piano lessons from first day at school. So being a pianist was for me a very natural thing, but being a singer was also a natural thing. But I didn't like the way that my voice changed when I became the voice of a man. I wanted to be a tenor, and I was a baritone, and I was very depressed about that for a long time. That is my own problem, but I am very glad that I became also a pianist because the reason why I liked music was because you always had to go figure it out. It never fell in your lap. And I kind of liked that challenge, to go and unravel it and then make the impossible not possible, but easy. That is the art of performing, to make the art of the impossible easy. And then I realized that you can do that. And you know what, what the funny thing that, that burst in me, the minute I started doing that, I wanted to share it with other people. Hey man, it's easy, come let me show you how to do this. And so I've been teaching since I was about in grade seven. I started teaching can you believe it? I used to teach, mothers used to bring their little daughters to my mother so I could teach them to do well in the Ice Tedfords. And I was very successful. People brought their children to me, especially their daughters, and hoping that uh, uh, something would happen between the daughter and me. But yeah, and so, um, I don't know. But anyway, so, and then later on, I started realizing people also want to learn piano. So I started teaching my cousins and stuff like that. And um, my aunts and uncles would pay me a little bit just as an incentive and that kind of stuff. So I've been teaching for a long, 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 long time. And um, I think it's a thing that... I don't know what would have happened if I didn't do that, you know. Uh, I'm very, very fortunate because it, it did the thing for me, you know. Yeah. I just know that when I leave a school after, you know, sharing music with the kids, uh, it's better than any paycheck I've ever received, the energy. The energy that you get back. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, for example, I teach Mtunzi usually sometimes on a Wednesday afternoon late after he's finished work or on a Saturday morning. 
And, you know, I'm getting on in age and stuff like that. But when I teach, for example, him or Ruben or anybody, I never, I never teach, I don't teach like other people. I've got like an hour and then you must go. Or three quarters an hour. A lot of them, three hours and three quarters an hour, you must go now. I teach until I think we've now achieved it or something. Mm, yes. And that's the way that I was taught as well. And I continue that tradition. It is not about the actual remuneration. It's about the thing that we're needing to do. And by the time that I'm done, I'm so energized. I have such a sense of... It's almost like I had a meal. But not even a meal does that, because very often a meal would leave me feeling a little bit oversatiated or that kind of stuff. But to teach such an incredible sense of energy that you receive from it. And people say, but don't you get tired? But no, it does the opposite. We did Don Giovanni now recently at the, at the, at the uh, Civic Theatre in Johannesburg, and we did four-hour sessions, two a day. Now I'm 70, and people said, what did you do that? I mean, after two hours session of that, I was invigorated, but after two hours I was ready to sort of, because that's enough work as well, you know what I mean? But it does give you something back. Yeah. Well, I just think that maybe a little bit too much time has gone by without incorporating an extension of yourself, which is a piano. And there's a grand piano, I believe, in the next room. So if, if you guys don't mind standing up, okay. let's just go ahead and make sure the piano's included. Yeah, and what are we going to do? Tell me about opera, the story of opera and the history of it and the language that is often sung in. Okay, right. Now, the, the concept of opera, it is the plural word of in Latin, which means work. The singular is O-P-U-S, opus, and the plural of opus is many, that's one work. Opera is many works. So in other words, an opera is many pieces of music put together that will tell a story. So it is instead of having a drama or a play that is then unfolding, or like you would have a soapy or a, or a television series, you are now singing the story. And... Um, so it is full on drama, and the um, the first example of an opera come, dates as far back as 1612, Claudio Monteverdi, and the first opera that can be considered an opera is a work called L'Orfeo. It's a story of Orpheus in the underworld and his girlfriend Eurydice, who uh, he tries to bring back to to life but they have to follow certain rules that the gods tell them. So it's that story, that love story. And so that's the first opera. So your first crude version of an opera is more than 400 years ago, 410 years ago. So it developed from that. And also the instrumentation. Um, they were, the, the instruments were very primitive string instruments, viola di gamba, all ancestors of the, of the, of the string family. And the flutes and stuff, all Baroque flutes and stuff, which all developed into uh, the woodwinds of the orchestra today and also the brass section, which is the trumpets and the, the, the French horns and all that kind of stuff, and the percussion and all that. So it all it grew from that. It's like a tree growing, you know, and the tree grew and grew and grew. Imagine a 400-year-old tree, and there are many of those apparently around. So this is a 400-year-old tree that has developed into the incredible height of opera, which 
I would say that opera came to its full, full height about a hundred years ago. And then it was the end of what we would call the Romantic era. If you take where opera started in the early Baroque, late Baroque, early classicism, Romanticism, mid-Romanticism, late Romanticism, and early 20th century music, which had some of its feet still in Romanticism, and then all hell break, broke loose. It is roughly around about the time of the Spanish flu, that first pandemic of the, of the, of the 20th century, when we started developing on a technological basis instruments that were no longer driven just by an organic instrument. This instrument is a piano. It is made out of ivories, strings and hammers and wood. And it resonates organically. But now, slowly, electricity was being introduced onto the planet. The electrification of the Earth started in 1918. And within a few years, the whole Earth became electrified, and that's where the flu started. Like we have just recently had something, something happened there. We will still find out exactly what happened because I don't believe we know it all. And we need to know what happened. And so I think we, as a race, as homo sapiens, as mankind, we are at the edge of a bit of a cliffhanger in terms of our identity because we need to hold on to our humanity and not forsake ourselves with genetically modified stuff because it started happening with electricity, electrically driven instruments. Electric. And if you look at our symphony orchestra, our symphony orchestra, it's all organic instruments. It's all played on breath or physical manifestations of strings or wood and all that kind of stuff. That is how all this music is made. But then came the concept of undoing the key. There we are, that, we can hear that it's harmonic. And then later on they started playing distances. Right by the beginning of the 20th, middle, middle of the uh, 1920s, where we're writing something like this, that would, would be fine because they could warrant it, because they'd learn how to break the rules. So that is not very good for, it's not beautiful, let's face it, that is not beautiful. And I believe that art has to be beautiful, otherwise don't do it. So what happened, it actually happened with Puccini. If you look at the history of opera, and at a point, it all disintegrates. It disintegrated actually at the death of Puccini and Richard Strauss, with the dismantling of the key going for atonality. Now, tonal is a key in a tone. You get then bitonal, but then comes polytonality, and then we start getting confused. And then came atonality when there was no key. So it was like open field, write whatever rubbish you want to do. And that is where the mind started interfering with the aesthetics of the heart. And so that is kind of where we are at, but I think we're at the point, exactly a hundred years later, to dust ourselves off and say, let's please continue with the beauty now, and let's get over with this mental interference 
which is called in Sanskrit paragya parad, which means the mistake of the intellect. When you have achieved perfection, don't overachieve perfection. Stay with perfection. Don't, if you build the perfect house, don't because you have too much money decide you want to change it purely because you have the money. You are really messing around there. And I think that is kind of where we're at in terms of, we had a, we've had a whole century almost. Puccini died in, in 1924. So it's almost 100 years ago. And it's time to wake Puccini up. That kind of thing, you know, in that vein. We've been here on the trail less traveled, uh, speaking with three amazing musicians. And I want to just say, Thank you so much to, to the three of you for sharing your story and your time on the trail as traveled. If you could each give us one piece of advice for whoever, whoever's listening out there, and then maybe we'll do a song. Well, follow your heart. Yeah. If you, if you let your heart, your heart is actually your brain. And unfortunately, the West, when I was growing up quite a few years ago, said, don't think with your heart, think with your brain. My advice is, don't think with your brain. Let your, 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 your heart is a better brain than your brain. So yeah, just follow your heart and it'll guide you there. Yeah, that's it. Prioritize yourself, you know. You, you, you must be happy all the time, you know. Prioritize your happiness and peace because we, we don't know how much we've had in this earth. So if you're yeah, yeah. always going to have worries about what people are saying, that just be yourself. Be true to you, and you'll be happy. What I would say is uh, try to find your purpose in life while you are here. Once you find that, you will see how beautiful life is and, and try to do that wholeheartedly every day because tomorrow is not promised to anyone. So, yeah, that would be my advice. Oh, 
Namaste Missoula, Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled. Tonight's episode was recorded on my family farm on the Western Cape of South Africa. I would like to thank the three phenomenal musicians who joined me, Ruben, Juan, and Mthuzi. Nkosikakulu. The Trail Less Traveled is the Trail 1033's locally harvested adventure radio series. I hope this show is a source of adventure information and inspiration. You can catch the premiere every Sunday night at 6 Mountain Time. Stream it live online at trail1033.com. And if you missed the premiere, check out the podcast, available everywhere, with the full show archive at traillesstraveled.net. That's it for this week's adventure, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week, please remember, conservation is not a spectator sport. Please do something to give back. And remember, the thing about the NAR is, it doesn't tread itself. One last thing. I want to extend my gratitude to a small family business based in Missoula, Montana, with roots in Africa. Explorer Maps. We share the same mission to connect people and place through art, history, culture, conservation, and storytelling. You can learn more by visiting explorermaps.com. And please remember, we donate a portion of every product sold to conservation efforts around the world. And since Explore Maps started, they have donated over $150,000 to protect wildlife, public lands, education, and women's empowerment. You can receive a discount when you use promo code MANDELA at checkout.